Thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life Keller's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you are encouraged and challenged in your personal relationship with Jesus. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit us at www.calvarylife.us. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Hallelujah. <clears throat> what a great, great time to be together. I appreciate the um, worship this morning. It's great to be in God's presence through the worship. Hang on, I'm going to get my water bottle. <clears throat> um, thank you, Joaquin. So Pastor, jo- uh, Pastor Joaquin, <laughs> Pastor Gwynmar is out of town. So um, I'm filling in for him. So you get second string today. That's okay, I hope. <clears throat> So I'm going to be speaking out of 1 Peter chapter 2, and um, I uh, actually preached from this passage in 2019, and I was hesitant to go back to it again today, but I just felt really pressed by God to do it, so I trust that I was hearing the Lord, and I guess you can judge after we're done. But um, 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm just going to do um, one verse Actually, two verses, four and five. Typically, I would do, in fact, the last time I spoke when I did the whole passage, four through um, uh, ten, but I'm just going to do verses four and five, and we're going to talk about, um, I know I'm going to be answering questions you're not asking, <laughs> so, so I know that I have to work hard to get you on board with me and, um, and to think about the things that I feel like God wants us to think about. And I'm going to be talking on the subject, a holy priesthood. And my premise is that you, in fact, are a priesthood. That you are, in fact, a priest before God. And that's not symbolic or allegorical or metaphorical. That's reality. That's really who you are. And so I want you to think about that today as we go through the passage. So verses 4 and 5, 1 Peter 2, verse 4 and 5. Coming to him... And him, of course, is Christ, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So let's just stop and pray. Father, I pray you'd help us today to hear what you want us to hear. I do echo Eric's um, prayer, God, that I would get out of the way, that really, Lord, I've asked you to, to that this would be your message, your words, what you want to say. I pray that we would hear what you want us to hear. Even if I don't say the right thing, help us hear the right thing, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Peter is writing this letter to Christians that are scattered all across what in the scriptures is called Asia, but in modern in the modern geography, it would be what is modern-day Turkey. So churches that are all across that region that were strong churches in Galatia, Bithynia, different places. And, and they were beginning to face a lot of opposition. They're, they're, the, um, the culture was becoming very prejudiced against Christians. They were facing a lot of oppression and even oftentimes downright persecution that they were facing. And so Peter is writing these people, trying to lift them up and encourage them in the midst of all of that, um, that struggle. 
but when he wrote to them, he did not in any way at all talk to them to, to pull back, to, to hide, to isolate, to retreat. In fact, what he really stressed was to continue to be filled with joy. He talked about it as joy unspeakable and full of glory, to have patience, to have, to have peace. And he also wanted to, bring, to help them, to urge them to continue to be holy. And he also wanted them to understand that they had a purpose and a mission in the world. And so they weren't just to be isolated. They weren't to be like this like little cloisters of Christians that kind of kind of hunkered down and, and, and tried to hide from the authorities. No, he wanted them to continue to engage in the world and with the world and minister in the world and to the world. And so that's kind of what, that's the background for this particular passage. And he says to them, and I'm only going to focus on one aspect, but he says you're a spiritual house, and that basically means a place where God lives. It's where God lives. And so we, God lives here. God lives in your homes. God lives in your heart. He lives all across all the dimensions of all of our corporate gatherings, of your family gatherings, and of you personally. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we're a spiritual house. But then he also says you are a holy priesthood, and that's what I want to focus on today, being a holy priesthood. So first of all, let's just talk about priesthood. That's not something that we're very familiar with. Um, I, you know, we've read the Old Testament. We kind of have a picture of that. I mean, if you, some of you were raised as a Catholic, and so you'd have some pictures of the priesthood in, in view of Catholicism. But what is the priesthood? Well, first of all, let me say this. In Exodus 19.6, and this is a hugely important point. In Exodus 19.6, God made very clear his intention. His intentions were, although they changed, because they had to, because the people's response. But God's original intention was that the whole nation of Israel would be a whole nation of priests, a whole kingdom of priests, and that they would literally stand before God on behalf of all of the nations of the world. God never intended Israel to be this exclusive club. He intended them to be before him and, and representing him to all the different nations of the world and bringing all of the nations into relationship with God. That was God's original intention. But it, it got violated. The people, when God brought them to the mountain and he was going to speak to them, the people reacted in such fear that they told Moses, Moses, you go up and talk to God and then you come down and tell us what he said. And they forfeited their place before God as a holy priesthood before him, before him for the nations. That was his original goal. And so now we had, instead of a nation of priests standing before God for the nations, we had a priesthood within a nation standing before God just for that one nation, the, uh, the Aaron's priesthood. And so God raised up a priesthood through Aaron and his family, through his lineage. And I'm going to just talk a little bit about that. I just hope you'll stay with me. We're going to get to the good part in a minute. But uh, I got to line, I got to set it all up. So he had this priesthood set up. And what was the priesthood all about? What did they do? Well, they, they offered up sacrifices, blood sacrifices, 
to atone for the sins of the people. The people, this is so tragic. Because they rejected approaching God, now they could not approach God. They could not experience what you experienced this morning. They could not experience coming in the presence of God. They could not approach God. And the priesthood had to approach God for the people. They couldn't approach him for themselves. The priesthood approached God on their behalf. And they offered up sacrifices that covered their sins, that provided for an atonement or a covering of their sins. Now, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't do that themselves. The priesthood had to do it for them. They also offered up sacrifices of worship. Now, the people did worship God. There are occasions in Scripture where the people bowed down and worshiped. But in terms of just an ongoing act of worship, the priesthood had to cover the basis for the people. And the, and the priesthood also instructed the people. They taught the people how to live godly lives. And that had to do with everything from how to worship to how to have marriages, to how to raise children, how to wage war, how to, how to function in society. They taught them everything. So, so the priests, so what did they do? They, they approached God on behalf of the people. They offered sacrifices to cover their sins. They worshiped God and they taught the people. That's what the priesthood did. So we're going to talk about us being a priesthood in a few moments. So just hang on for that. But first of all, the priesthood had to be holy. They had to be set apart. So in Exodus chapter 29, I'm not going to go back and read it. You can read it later. But in Exodus 29, it has the, the occasion where God is establishing the Aaronic priesthood, Aaron's priesthood. And they did several things. Number one, they had to sacrifice. They had to give a blood sacrifice because the priests were sinners, right? They had to cover for the sins of the priests. And then they washed them with water. And that had to do, that's a picture of God cleansing them and making them pure and making them holy. And then, then they gave them special clothes to wear. And I'm thankful we don't do that anymore. But they had special clothes to wear that they wore. That was the priesthood clothing. And then the last thing they did was they anointed them with oil. And the oil was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Symbolic of the Holy Spirit empowering them. So I want you to think with me for a minute. Nothing that they did changed anything about those men. I mean, they were just a blood sacrifice that was offered. They, they were washed. Okay, well, I guess they were clean. They had different clothes on, and they were smeared with oil. That was it. Nothing changed them physically. Nothing about them changed. But because it was a process that they, they did by faith, God now had made them holy. So my first thought here is that we are as people, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, we are made holy. The priests were made holy. They weren't holy on their own. And there's nothing about them that actually changed, but yet God made them holy. He set them apart. And, and so I want us to understand what it means to be holy. What does that mean? We think about holiness. I think we think we kind of confuse that with righteousness, that, we're, that we live right, that we live without sin, that we live pure, and all that's part of it. But holiness ultimately means that we are consecrated 
to God. For example, they had a holy table. (laughs) Well, that holy table didn't have a bad life or a good life, right? They had holy utensils. They even had holy land. They had holy clothes, right? Well, what is that about? What does that mean that, that a table is holy? It obviously, like I said, doesn't live wrong or live right. It doesn't live at all. It's just a table. What it means is it's dedicated completely to God's service. That's what it means to be holy. And so for us to be holy means that we are completely dedicated to God, that we have been set apart and we belong to God. Right? Let me just rephrase that. We say, restate that. We belong to God. We are his. We're not our own. The priests were no longer their own. Now, they had families. They had wives. They had children. They had land. They farmed. Some, no, the high priest didn't farm, but the other ones did. And they had lives, but everything they had, everything they were, everything that they themselves existed of belonged to God. And that's what it means to be holy, that we are set apart to God. And so P- Peter Right, and remember, the, the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. I imagine most of you know that, but it wasn't. For those that don't know that, it was just a letter. Well, later on, someone came along with the idea of giving us chapters and verses to be able to read it better and understand it easier. But it was just a letter. And so just before this, in this letter, Peter talked about two very critical things. He talked about the precious blood of Christ that we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ and by the incorruptible word of God. So by the precious blood of Jesus and by the word of God, by faith in the precious blood of Jesus and by believing the word of God, God makes us holy. You have been made holy. Holy. I'm just going to let that sink in for a minute. You have been made holy. I know some of you are just like that's going right over your head right now. The idea that you are a holy person is you can't even grasp it. But you're no different than Aaron. Aaron wasn't holy either. God made him holy. God makes you holy. God is the one who secures it. God, who's the one, he's the one that made it happen. And your only place in it is believing in the blood of Jesus Christ. Your only place in it is believing the word of God. And when you believe in the precious blood of Christ and you believe in the word of God, God makes you holy. You have been made holy. Now there is there there is an ethical there is an ethical part of holiness. We do live holy, but I just want to say this about that: that we 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 live holy because we are holy. We live holy because we are holy. We don't we don't live a certain way to become holy. And so for those of you and some of you, I don't know if any of you were raised in the holiness tradition like I was, but basically most of the preaching that I heard as a young man was either about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the second coming of Christ, or 
holiness. And it, holiness was translated by things that we are supposed to do and actually more by things that we weren't supposed to do. And that pretty much constituted holiness. It had to do with places we couldn't go and entertainment we couldn't, we couldn't view and, and clothes that we couldn't wear and our hair had to be a certain way. And, and all of that constituted holiness. And that's so far from what real holiness is all about. Real holiness is that our lives have been so transformed by God that we live life that belongs to him. <laughs> we, we live a way that belongs to God. And, and yes, it does affect how we live. It does affect how we treat other people. We talked about loving one another in our servant circle this morning. Yes, it does cause us to love every single person. doesn't matter who they are, what status of life they're in, what color they are. doesn't matter. We love because does God in us love, right? And so we, we live holy because we are holy. And that's such a huge point. And I don't want to spend more time on that, but I do, I do think it's important for us to understand, yes, you are made holy, but you also live holy. You live a certain way. All right, amen, you guys got that with me <laughs> on, on, on board? And then, and then Aaron had a whole tribe added to him as, an, as assistance, and it was the tribe of Levi. Now, Aaron was a Levite himself, but that's not why the tribe of Levi was chosen. I want to tell you why the tribe of Levi was chosen to become the, the priesthood assistants. They were chosen because they, uh, well, I'm going to tell you why they were violent. My wife said it wasn't because they were violent, but it was because they were violent. They were very, very violent. Okay, I'll explain that in a minute, honey. So, uh, <laughs> so but in Exodus 32, when Moses was on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, and and he came down from the mountain, and the people of Israel had, because he'd been gone so long, they thought, you know, we don't know what's going on with Moses. I think he's gone. Let's, we have to have some new gods now, and had Aaron make them a golden calf, and they were worshiping the golden calf. And, and there was probably a lot of sexual immorality involved in all of that. It says they rose up to play, the old King James says, and it probably had to do with sexual immorality as a part of their worship. And, and um. And Moses came down, and he was irate. And he, he said this. He said, whoever is on the side of the Lord, come to me. And the whole tribe of Levi stepped forward. That would be thousands of people. They stepped forward, and they, they, they came to Moses. They said, we're on the side of God. And Moses said this. He said, strap on your swords. And the Levites strapped on their swords, and they went out among the people of Israel. Now, remember, there's a million people. They went out among the people of Israel, and they killed 3,000 men. And that's why God chose them to be his tribe that assisted Aaron in the priesthood. Because they were zealous for the glory and the holiness of God. That's why they were violent. <laughs> they were violent because they were zealous for God's holiness and God's glory. And so we are a priesthood, and we are supposed to be zealous for God's glory. We're supposed to be zealous for his holiness. In fact, when Jesus gave us the model prayer, he said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And the word hallowed means to be kept holy. 
We want God's name to be glorified. We want God's name to be kept holy. We want the world to honor God. And that's what it means when we pray, hallowed be your name. Your name be kept holy in this world. And so we have this, this zeal in our heart. Now, I'm not asking anybody to strap on a sword and, <laughs> and go out and kill anybody. That's obviously not what we do. But we are zealous for God's glory and God's holiness. Amen? God, help us to do that. So let's just now, let's come, that's the introduction. Let's come to the message. So um, <laughs> the message is going to be short. The, uh, so it comes now to the priesthood. You are a holy priesthood. So we talked about the priesthood. We talked about holiness. We talked about the zeal for God's holiness. So now I want to talk about what it means to be a priesthood. In American Christianity, I can't speak for other parts of the world, but in American Christianity, we have made our Christian walk very much a, a personal affair. You, you, ask, you ask Christ to become your personal Savior. You have your personal devotions. You try to have personal spiritual growth. Everything is very personal. We, we talk about developing spiritual disciplines so that you can have, and, and that you can have your quiet time with God. All of that is, and all of that's important. Nothing I said is wrong unless we stop there. Unless we stop there. We have the spiritual disciplines, prayer and reading the Bible and fasting and worship and living simply. But those are spiritual disciplines. They're very critical for us to be spiritually transformed. I, I mean, I am passionate about spiritual formation. I believe that God wants to shape us and mold us and change us and make us like him. I'm passionate about that. In fact, it's one of my greatest passions. And I, I'm so passionate about spiritual disciplines. I think they're so critical that we need them. And if you're not in the word, you need to be in the word. And if you're not praying, you need to be praying. If you're not worshiping, you need to be worshiping. I believe that. I'm all for that. I'm very huge on that, in fact. But it's, if that's all it is, then we have missed the point. We, we are growing spiritually. We are, we are maturing spiritually for a reason. Now, obviously, I mean, part of it is, of course, just because God loves to be with us and we love to be with him. I understand that. But he's trying to shape us and mold us and make us into something. And what he's trying to make us into is a priesthood. That we, as, as people of God, stand before God on behalf of the nations. I, I know that's I know no one's asking that question. And so I know that I just have the, the chance of that just like falling on, on, on deaf ears. But hear what I'm saying. Yes, I want you to grow spiritually. Yes, I want you to be close to the Lord. Yes, I want you to grow in the knowledge of God. Yes, I want all of that. But it needs to have some, it needs to have a purpose. There needs to be some place that that's going. And where that's going is for you to stand before God and to intercede for the nations of the world. So what, what, what are we, and it says that we offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What, what are the spiritual sacrifices that we, have, that we offer up? Well, first of all, we offer up worship. 
We offer up worship. And, and I know that that's like, well, that doesn't seem very exciting. But I think we need to understand what worship really is. What did we just do? Well, Psalms 22.3 says that God enthrones himself on the praises of his people. And so when we worship, it's not about just having a good feeling time. It's about, it's about glorifying God, number one. And I think that's why it's so critical that the words we sing need to, need to matter. <laughs> they do matter. We, we need to sing words that glorify God, that exalt him, that tell about him, that tell who he is, that tells what he does, that we lift up God. And as we do that, the scripture says he comes down and sets up his throne on our praises. And so I hope that we never look at worship again the same. That when we are worshiping, yes, we're interacting with God. Yes, we are encountering God. That's important. I believe and I, I value God encountering worship. I want us to encounter his presence. I want us to be filled with his presence during our worship time. But that's not all it's about. It's about setting up his rulership, number one, in our own lives. That I am submitting myself to God. I'm saying, God, you're God and I'm not. And I come to you and I, I bow before you and I acknowledge you as the Lord of my life. And I, I invite you to rule in me. That's really what you're doing when you worship. You're inviting God to rule in you. You're inviting him to have control of your life. You're making him the king. You're establishing his kingdom in your life. But not only that, and, and this, this may be something you've never thought about. I don't know. But, and I, I, know that, I know that I don't really grasp it either. But there is a dimension in which we literally establish God's kingdom in the earth when we worship. That his kingdom is being established when you sing praises to God, he enthrones himself on your praises. And when he enthrones himself, that means he's the king. And his kingdom comes. His kingdom comes. Right? Jesus said, pray, come thy kingdom. Be done thy will on earth as it is in heaven. And when we worship together, God help us get that. That we're not just singing songs. And that's why it frustrates me when... When, and I, I guess I shouldn't go there, but I already started. I have to now, right? I, I, never, I never understand why people don't worship. It's like, what's wrong with us? You look around, people are just standing. Why, 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 why are we doing that? We're worshiping God. We're, we're enthroning him. We're setting up his throne. We're, we're establishing his kingdom. You got to get with it, right? You got to worship, right? I mean, I, you know, you just got to do it. We've got to do it. We've got to worship God. And as we, and I get, that's not, that's terrible grammar, but we, we, we have to worship God. Let's put it that way. Because as we do, we're establishing his throne. And the next thing we do is we intercede. As, as priests, what do we do? We, we are intercessors for the world. Now, <laughs> I know I can really lose everybody now, for sure. <laughs> well, think about your prayer life, and, and you may have a great prayer life, and I pray that you do. But, but I found in my prayer life that I was pretty, pretty narrow-focused. My focus was 
me, my wife, my two girls, <laughs> you know, was maybe a little broader than that, but not much. And so, I've, I mean, this has been many years ago now, but I mean, I really began to be convicted by that. God called us to be priests for the nations. We need to be priests for the nations. What, what are you praying for? What, what are you praying about? And I, I mean, I could spend a lot of time talking about this, and I guess I won't, but, but I feel like God wants us to understand our role. That we literally stand before him on behalf of, just like Israel was supposed to do. And I feel like the church has largely lost that. I mean, I could be wrong. In fact, I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to be wrong. But I feel like, I feel like I'm probably not. I feel like we've pretty much, spirituality is pretty much an individual thing. It's pretty much a personal thing. And we don't really think about our place before God in the world. And I think, you know, I understand how that all happened. It all happened, I mean, you had, you had Europe and you had the church and the politics were all completely intertwined and it was a mess. And we had, we had hundreds of years of wars that was all religious based. It was a mess. And then we founded America, 1776, and we had this bright idea. And I like the idea that we separate church and state. Because, and that was because of the mess that they had in Europe. But what has, what has, what has resulted from that has not, I don't think the founding fathers had it in mind. That's irrelevant. But it's certainly what, not what God has in mind. And that is that we have, we have completely divorced spirituality from real life. And that, that's not what God wants. He wants us to understand. When you get up tomorrow morning and you get dressed, I want you to imagine that you're putting on your priestly garment. Seriously. And that you're saying, God, I'm a priest today. And I'm standing before you on behalf of the nations. Help me understand where you want me to, where, what you want me to pray for. Where, what, what part of the world you want me to intercede for. What you want me to stand in the gap for. Help me to understand what you want me to pray for today. He may have you praying for North Korea. He may have you praying for Mongolia. He may have you praying for South Africa. He may have you praying for the city of Keller. <laughs> I don't know. What are you praying about? Well, what does your prayer consist of? And I, just, I think we need to feel a little bit, of, not condemnation, but a little bit of conviction. We, we, need to, we are to stand before God literally on behalf of the nation and pray and believe God. And, and I could tell you story after story, uh, and, and I would be hesitant to do that because it would sound like I was being braggadocious about my own life. But I know that I'm not the only one that's been praying those prayers. I know there are many thousands of believers praying prayers. But I can, I can show you specific occasions where I was praying about something specifically in the world. And it happened. It was like shocking. Wow. You open the newspaper and you see the answer to your prayer. Well, and again, I, I'm hesitant to say that because it sounds like I'm bragging on myself and and I, I, I'm not. I am not. 
You just have to know I am not. Because I know that I'm not the only one praying those prayers. But I am a part of it. And I, it's a joy. It's like, wow, God, you helped me to be a part of what you just did in the world. You just accomplished this in the world, and I was a part of that. It's amazing. It's a, it's a tremendous honor and privilege to be a part of that. And so we are to intercede for the world, for the nations. And we are to instruct the world. I want you to hear me now. The church is supposed to be instructing the world in the ways of righteousness. And, and we have largely been silenced. We've largely lost our voice in the world. We, we've lost, for, for the most part, it seems like we've lost the academic system. The very little of godliness being taught there. We're, we're told to keep our religion out of politics. And I think that's wrong. I do agree that, that I, I, I don't want, what I'm not looking for is a theocracy. Israel was a theocracy. We have a theocracy. We have a whole theocratic system of government in the Middle East, and it's not working out very well. I'm not looking for that, but I am looking for a church that speaks the word of God to the nation, and then whether the nation rejects it or accepts it, that's up to them. But we, we don't have the right not to speak it. We have the responsibility to teach the nation the word of God. How do we do that? I don't really know the answer to that right now. How do we do that? I remember back when we had the big debate going about um, gay marriage. This is nothing against homosexuality or homosexuals. That's not the point of this comment that I'm making right now. But it's about the subject strictly of gay marriage. And when that debate was raging, we were told to keep the Bible out of it. They didn't want to hear the Bible being quoted. And it seems to me, for the most part, we Christians just shut up and sat down. And, and, I, and, and my question is, why? Why would we not present the, the word of God that for millennia has been the foundation, the best foundation for a happy, healthy marriage, happy, healthy families. I, I think we should have brought it to the discussion. We should have brought it to the table. Now, whether the world accepted it or rejected it, that's another story, but we should have at least brought it to the table. So this is the way of the Lord. This is how God set it up. This is what God designed, and, and we want to present this. This would probably be the best way to live life and to have marriages and to have families. And like I said, whether the world rejects or accepts it, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want an army behind me to enforce that, which is what they had in Europe. I don't want that. That becomes a bloody mess. I'm not asking for that. 
but I am asking for us to be responsible to teach the word of God to our nation. Right? You guys with me? <laughs> right. So, so what, do, what do we do as a priesthood? Well, number one, we are holy. You are holy. I'll just let that for a moment think about it. You are holy. And, and we, have, we have ideas of what it means to be holy, and that, that messes us up. We think, well, no, I'm not holy. I know that I, I get angry. I have lust. I do this. I do that. And you feel like, well, I guess I'm really not holy after all. No, you are holy because God made you holy. He made you holy by the precious blood of Christ and the incorruptible word of God. That's how he made you holy. Now, yes, you, you have to live in that holiness. You believe it, you receive it, and then you begin to practice it. There, there, is, there is a part that we play, but it begins by understanding that you have been made holy, that you're not trying to become holy. Did you hear what I said? You're not, you are not trying to become holy. God has made you holy. But now you are living in holiness. You, you have a zeal. You have a zeal for God's holiness. That zeal might be buried, but you have it. You have it. Because the Holy Spirit inside of you has it. You have a zeal for God's holiness. And you are a priesthood that stands before God. Yes, you stand before God for your family. I pray for my family every single day. Every day I pray for my wife and for my girls and their husbands and their kids and the kids. And I pray for the kids still to come. You know, I'm just praying for them already because I'm praying there's going to be a lot more. Hallelujah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, I pray for that every day. I mean, that's, that's a given, right? That's a given. But God helped me to understand my role as a priest. And, and not only as a priest, but a part of the priesthood. We all together make up the priesthood. <laughs> we don't all come one Sunday in our priestly clothes. I don't know what that would look like, but anyhow. <laughs> we, we are a priesthood, and we stand before God. We worship God as priests. That's, you're worshiping God as a priest. That's how you're worshiping. And you're interceding before God for the nation, and you're instructing. Well, you may not have the opportunity to instruct a city official, but you can instruct someone at your job. Just a moment, a conversation. You share a thought of God's word, of God's truth. I mean, don't be obnoxious about it, obviously. But you just teach it. You just share it. And, and every single one of us have opportunities to teach the word of God at some point to somebody. God help us do that. That we are instructing in the word of God. So you, you are a holy priesthood. Amen. And... and we're not going to strap on swords, but we are going to be zealous for God's holiness and God's glory in the earth. 
and, and we're going to worship him and believe his kingdom is being established. What an arrogant thing to believe. And yet it's true that when I worship God, his kingdom is established in the earth. What an arrogant thing to believe that I can pray for something happening in North Korea and God can change that. I've seen it happen. That for, for about two years, all I prayed about was, not all I prayed about, but I just prayed constantly for North Korea. God just put that on my heart. I prayed for it. And I saw things happening in the news. I thought, oh, my God. Amazing. What an arrogant thing to believe. But why not? We're the priesthood of God. Amen? Why not believe for that? And it seems arrogant to instruct the world. <laughs> well, we believe we have the truth. And we also, we also give the people the right to reject or accept. But we want to teach the truth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for your word. I ask that you help us to hear what I believe you wanted to say to us today. I felt like I was going to be answering questions nobody was asking, but I felt like you wanted to say it. So I pray that you have spoken. I pray that we've heard and that we'll respond in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's podcast. Thank you and have a blessed week.